What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Before we dive into this week's interview, I wanted to give you all a quick heads up that the 2021 edition of CMX's Community Industry Report is now available. We had over 500 community professionals and teams participate in this survey, which aimed to answer questions like, what is the value of community to businesses and what are the most popular metrics used for measuring community? We looked at the impact of COVID-19 on communities and virtual events, and we dove into how community teams are investing in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and for the first time gathered data on the representation of different races and ethnicities in the community industry itself. There are loads of interesting insights in this report, and you can download it all for free today. Just head to cmxhub.com. Again, that's cmxhub.com, and you can download the report there. All right, let's dive into today's interview. Today's interview is with Matthew Kobach, someone who's really risen to fame in the last couple of years on Twitter, sharing a lot about marketing, social media, and life, and built an incredible following by applying lessons that he learned about community building to how he built his network up on Twitter. Today, he's a director of content marketing at Fast. Before, he was a manager of digital and social media at the New York Stock Exchange. And he's just someone who really has a deep understanding of how to create great content and build an audience. There's a ton of really practical advice in this one. You're going to love it. Let's dive in. Matt, welcome to the show. My pleasure. So, you've been working in the kind of world of community for a long time, but in, in very different kinds of ways and different spaces. Uh, you originally dropped out of a PhD, which I think is is something you like to brag a lot about. <laughs> yes. And, I, and um, I want to clear up some misconceptions. Some people say that I say I've got my PhD. I am very straightforward. I do not have it. I proudly dropped out. Proudly dropped out. It's better than having a PhD, some <laughs> would say, at least, at least in our circles. Yeah. And you've recently blown up on Twitter, uh, recently being like in the last year, you've said that you've applied community concepts to how you've thought about growing your Twitter audience and building a community through Twitter. And and that's kind of what inspired our conversation here today. So I'm very excited to learn more about what are those lessons, what are those models that you've developed and, and talk about what you're seeing in the world of online community and how you're building it today. But why don't we start off with just a quick intro uh, for those who don't know you and your background of dropping out of PhDs. Who are you and and how did you come to working at at Fast today and doing the work that you're doing today? Yeah, my name is Matthew Kobach. I tweet a lot. If you're wondering what I do, that seems to be a good description. Uh, I am currently the director of content marketing at Fast. Before then, I was at a company that was the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange. They're called Intercontinental Exchange. They're based in Atlanta, so I was doing uh, that work for two years in Atlanta, convinced them to let me move to New York to focus more on the New York Stock Exchange. Before that, I had started a social media marketing firm for local businesses. Before that, I was doing some social media data analytics for brands and movie studios. And before that, I was getting a PhD. I was also teaching and doing research. Um, I think a, lo- a couple of people might not know, I've got uh, four peer-reviewed articles published. Fun little fact about me, I don't know that I'll ever do anything with them, but they're there and, you know, etched in eternity. That PhD and those art- those papers are around, you know, human interaction and, and community, right? Uh, yeah, so they're more about, so I was, when I published those, I was getting a Uh, both a master's and a PhD, and essentially the general concept of media effects. So how does media affect people? Like when you're, and that was really what I was studying. I wanted to know how social media affected people. And when you are in a PhD program or a master's program that I was in, you get assigned to certain professors, and then you just help work on the on the studies that they're doing and the areas of interest. So some of them were ones that I pushed for, and some of them were just, you know, a way to get schooling, <laughs> you know, like a, you work for the school, they pay for your tuition. And so, so yeah, so some of them are, if you ever look them up, some of them have some wild titles. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that much. It'll be a little Easter egg if anyone wants to see what publications <laughs> I have. I don't think they would expect it to be in the genre that it's in. Interesting. I really want to know now. 
but I guess we'll leave it as an Easter egg. But I'll give, I'll give you a hint. One of the professors I worked for was a sex in the media expert. And so that was oh. that, that was the nature of, of some of the studies. All right. We're going to have a lot of people reading this this paper from many years ago now, <laughs> and maybe we'll find it'll find its way on Twitter. <laughs> awesome. And so you, you're a lot of your backgrounds in the world of social media, but you talk a lot about community as well. And, and a lot of people who work in, in the worlds of social media and community often, you know, have kind of distinct definitions of what it means to, you know, be a social media marketer or manager versus a community manager, or what's the difference between social media platforms and social media engagement and, and community building. How do you define those two and distinguish between the two? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't actually have a good answer. I like the exercise because this is goes back to my time in academia. I think we need to better define terms in general because I think it's really easy to think you're talking about something when really you're talking about two different things. So if we're going to differentiate between social media and community, community to me feels bigger than social media. It feels like it's something that happens outside of it. And that was really the crux of the research I had done before I dropped out, which was that social media actually doesn't change human behavior all that much. It's another layer. It changes some things. It maybe changes the way we communicate. But at the end of the day, people are going to kind of use social media to do what they've always done. And so that's the biggest difference to me is like community building happens offline as well as online. And so if you are only defining it through digital means, you're missing really the fundamentals of community building to begin with. Uh, social media seems a lot more clear cut to me. It's, you know, certain platforms that allow you to market. And, it, you know, to me, it's like billboard advertising or out of home or, you know, email or, or TV. Um, so that's how I, I differentiate between the two. Mm. A way that I found it useful as well, actually, Nadia Ekbal uh, wrote a great book called was it work making in public? Yeah. Working in public. Um, and, and she breaks down different communities. Um, there's like federations, which is more of your kind of standard kind of distributed community. Um, and she, she did this all based on research in open source, which is kind of the OG online community space. Um, and then you have things that are more like stadiums, which you kind of have around this creator movement. So someone who's creating art or music or content, and and there's you know more of an audience around them or a fan base but you know when people try to say that an audience isn't a community i think it misses a point that i've always looked at it as community is something that people experience and so if a fan feels like they're a part of a community even though it's mostly following somebody but they still feel connected to the other people who are following them it's still a community to them um it's just a different kind of infrastructure than the you know, distributed model of a federation or like many to many connections. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it has more to do with the person experiencing it than it does. And, you know, the actual nuance of what's going on. Like it's almost like if you believe you're part of a community, you're part of a community, you know, it seems like mm -hmm. a good enough explanation to me, like a far be it Pretty for simple. me. To, yeah. And far be it for me to tell you, you're not part of this community. If you feel it, like if you feel it, it's true. Exactly. Communities in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. So on the topic of community, so you, you've grown to like 100,000 followers on Twitter and have been creating incredible content and have like really built a whole brand and following and and community around your content. Your, your pinned tweet to this day is still, I decided to take what I knew about community building and apply it to my personal Twitter handle. Um, and so you've spent basically the last year doing that. What was it that you knew about community building and how did you apply it to Twitter? So I'll, I'll even kind of rewind a, a second, like before that too. Yeah. It's part of the reason I felt like doing it was I had uh, started doing the social media for the New York Stock Exchange. And the, what I did, like it, it very profoundly impacted the uh, engagement, the reach, the impressions and all that stuff. But I wasn't really sure that if like I, I did anything special, like it was, um, you know, it's the New York Stock Exchange. Everyone's heard of this brand. It's not some unknown brand. And they just hadn't focused any time on building those channels out. Like I, they didn't even have an Instagram when I started. And so it felt a little bit like cheating, you know, like I, I kind of felt like any idiot could have done what I've done. I actually still kind of think that. <laughs> I think no matter what I'm doing, any other idiot can do. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> 
uh, feel that I've got uh, any unique skill set. But what I had done is I had learned what it meant to kind of have something to rally around, which is a lot of online community. I learned like how to communicate better, how to communicate more efficiently. And so I decided, all right, let's see if I can do this from scratch. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm just some person that no one knows. And, you know, maybe now a couple more people know me on Twitter, but that's still about it. So it's like, essentially, let me take this brand that doesn't really exist, that doesn't really have a following, aka myself, and see if I can do the same thing. Like, can I, can I build it up to where there are actually followers and there are, is an audience or there is a community, there are people that want to talk to. Uh, and I figured worst case scenario, I'll get better at writing and better at tweeting and, and all that stuff. Uh, best case scenario, I end up like right here talking to you about things that I love. And like this to me really is the best case scenario. And so what I'd done is I tried to dissect a little bit what I had done that helped build the, you know, the social media profiles of the brands I'd worked for in the past. And three things really came like when I thought about it, there's three things I was like, all right, I'm going to apply these three things to my own social media. So one was to be unbelievably niche. So like we are complex, interesting, dynamic people, but you can't build a community around all these different things. You have to be specific. So when I started, it was really like, here are ways. So I built a <laughs> social media community around doing social media better. Um, I think at the time, there was still a decent amount of advice out there that was either outdated or had been repeated so many times it didn't really mean anything. So a good example is when someone tells you to just be authentic on social media. It's now been repeated so many times over. Like, I don't know. When someone says that, I don't know what they mean. And that goes back to our original conversation about um, defining concepts. Like some ver someone's version of authentic authenticity might be different than someone else's. So I wasn't finding advice like that very useful. Like to me, what was useful is like, let me define what this means and let me see how it actually applies to social media. Uh, so I started doing that. Like that was really, that, that was my community. People who were tired of hearing either cliche, outdated or unhelpful advice on social media. And I'm like, here's what I found that actually works. Here's what really gets uh, impressions and engagement. So I started by doing that. Was very fortunate that I had some uh, early luck and th that kind of kept me going. It didn't really build my audience, but it, it motivated me to keep going in terms of having like a few tweets go viral kind of thing. Um, but it all started with because I was unbelievably specific. I didn't tweet about really anything else. I'm like, I'm just going to tweet about this. Um, the second thing was I made a pact to myself that I was going to be consistent. I said I would tweet twice a day, every day for six months. And I was never going to miss it. I had kind of written some tweets that were in my drafts. My, my drafts folder still has an insane amount of tweets I've never sent. So that if I had nothing to say at a given time, I could still just go there, fine tune something and put it out. I think I would, I, I told myself I'd do it before work, after work every day. Um, and then what that did is that consistency allowed me to kind of go back every 30 days or whatever it was. And I didn't really do this in any you know, organized fashion. It was kind of easy to just do at the time, but you see what resonates and you see what doesn't. You see what, what you said, you see like how you phrase things and how that makes them hit better. You know, like it really improved my ability to communicate efficiently. So that was number two. So number one, unbelievably niche. Number two, be consistent, figure out a cadence that you're going to follow and stick to it. And then number three was this idea of kind of compounding tweets. So knowing that and this goes along with the consistency thing. A bunch of good tweets or a bunch of good anything added together is like one plus one equals three. It's just, uh, and I think I'm at a point now where I could probably tweet something that isn't all that interesting or isn't all that great, which I'm sure I've got critics that say this <laughs> right now. So it's probably a fair criticism. But when someone reads a tweet from me now or reads a tweet from any, you know, if they're involved in a community or anyone that they're a fan of, you get the residual of all the great tweets that came before it, all the great content that came before it. So like when your favorite artist releases a new album, you're more likely to like it because you've got this established relationship with them. You've got this kind of benefit of the doubt and you've got this glow of all the past stuff that impacts how you perceive it now. And so when you build that, um, you know, when you're that consistent, 
it just builds upon itself. And it is a lot like compound interest in terms of, you know, saving. And I think compound interest is a beautiful thing that works in relationships and, you know, works with diet and exercise and, and, uh, you know, your career. So that would be the last one. I love it. So kind of three areas, it's like specificity. So getting really focused on one thing, which is something that a lot of people don't do very well, especially on Twitter and social media, where they 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 kind of want to use to use it both as uh, like personal updates, like what they're cooking, what they're thinking about sports, and then they'll like put the thought leadership tweet in there of who they're actually trying to reach for, you know, actually building a community or a business around it. But it just gets lost in this mix of kind of a variety of different types of content that they post. So it sounds like you just cut out everything else and you're like, I'm only going to do this one thing. 100%. And this is not to say that everyone should do this. Use social media however you like. This is to say if you want to build a community and your profile is the lighthouse or a lighthouse, then you've got to do this. But like like a good example is my Instagram. I don't really care as much about it. Uh, Like I don't have the same objectives on Instagram as I have on Twitter. So that can be more personal stuff, more stuff that I'm interested in. Um, whereas Twitter, you know, I, I yeah, there's tons of things I'm interested in, but no one cares that I watched, you know, the Packer game with some of my friends from Wisconsin. Like it's just uninteresting to them. And and the way I, I, I kind of think about it and think it's helpful to think about it is we're all like, like if you're trying to build an audience or build a community, we're all TV channels. And you can't turn on ESPN and have opera be on there. You can't turn on the news and have it be a reality show. Like you need to, people need to know what to expect. And if they don't know what to expect, you haven't really given them a great reason to follow. So yes, you just have to be unbelievably specific if you're trying to build a community around a certain objective. If you're not, say whatever you want. Talk about whatever you want. Use it. It's fun. Like I, I, in the comments, I follow plenty of people that are, you know, have interests outside of my interests or have interests outside of my, you know, community interests. But I rarely tweet about them. I'm never going to live tweet a, a, you know, a Packer game. Mm. I mean, I think you get to the point where maybe you're big enough and maybe you're even at this point and the, the network is big enough where you, you are interesting enough as a person to where like the little things you do in your life feel like it personalizes you. And I, I think of like Gary V you know, in those tweets about the Jets or like random, I mean, it kind of all is built into his brand at this point. But, you know, once you reach a certain status, then people care about your personal stuff. But yeah, before I, that, they I, don't. Well, you know, what's funny is it's and it's not even like a, you hit a certain threshold and it happens. It's that you start unbelievable. And I actually did this, too. So you start unbelievably specific. And then once you get that core group, you try to expand it, but you can't expand it too big too soon. So a good example is I started with like, here are the actual takeaways from social media. Here's the stuff that I know to actually be true. And then expanded that to like, here are the things I know about marketing to be true. Here are the things I know about communication to be true. Here are the things I know about creativity to be true. And so I was able to expand on that a little bit and and take people along on that ride. And lucky for me, they wanted to come. And then I've now expanded so big that my interests outside of social media are really human behavior. It goes back to what I was doing in academia. Um, you know, it's this quest to be, a, you know, the best version of myself that I can be. And so I really like these ideas that transcend time and space and lives. Like, you know, good advice 2000 years ago is still good advice today. Mm. And so then I started applying that to social media. And so I was able to kind of bring people on a even more general uh, a ride. And so I've been able, you know, only by zooming in super close was I able to kind of slowly zoom out and zoom out. I still don't know that I'll ever get anyone interested in my fantasy football team or the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> but, you know, the, this stuff that's kind of like applicable to all people and that I can sometimes put a, a marketing lens over, um, people, you know, have come along on that journey with me. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful that I people are willing to listen to the to the thoughts I have about that topic. Yeah. It, that seems to be the the path that a lot of creators go. They start very specific and then end up in like human philosophy and stoicism. It's like the the Naval path. Yeah, it's not the only destination, but it's the only entry point that I know of. At least on social media, you just have to be that specific, and then wherever that goes, that goes. But I, I just it's really hard to try to be something for everybody because then you just end up being nothing for nobody. Right. Exactly. I like the idea of the of the lighthouse. Can you say more about that? Like, what does that mean to be the lighthouse for a topic? So, ninety percent of people don't really post on social media. 
nine percent post a medium amount and one percent opposed to most of it so those 90 percent of people are really just you know they, they have interest that they, they want to participate maybe they'll reply once in a while but for the most part they just want to read interesting thoughts so that's the lighthouse you're trying to get those 90 percent of the people and so what they're they're looking for topics that interest them and so the only way for them to find you is if you turn your light on and you start talking about the things that interest you. And you've just got to hope that they're actually attracted to what you have to say. But that's that concept. If no one knows that you're, you know, <laughs> that it's safe to land on this shore, if, you know, if you're not turning on your light, no one's going to know to come to you. No one, like, to have an audience or to build a community without putting yourself out there is impossible. It just doesn't exist. It's a, you know, oxymoron. You have to put your ideas out there and you have to do it in a consistent fashion. You know, like someone might not see your light when you turn it on at any given moment. So you've got to try to turn it on as often as you can so that people who are attracted to your the way that you think or, you know, it doesn't have to be just thinking, but um, any any part that you're putting out there that they know to go towards that light. And the closer they get, the more they kind of understand what it is that you're trying to say or the reason to follow you or be part of your community. And maybe they like it, maybe they don't, but they're only going to know if they, you know, if you put that light out there and they get close enough to see what you're really about. Yeah. It reminds me of a quote from Arlen Hamilton when I interviewed her, who's the founder of Backstage Capital. And she said, um, be yourself so that those who are looking for you can find you. Yeah, 100%. I think it's also a good way of um, thinking about authenticity. Like, the authenticity to me is that like, there's something about you that makes you unique. There's something about you different, like not, not something, there's tons of things. What your job is to do is to figure out like, all right, what are those things that actually make me unique and valuable to other people? What perspective do I have that no one else has or that feels familiar enough to what other people have that they can rally around it? And the people that try to pretend that there's something they're not, it just falls flat. And the people that the more you're yourself, the more you get to the actual people that are interested in what you have to say. It might be a smaller audience, yeah. but they're going to be a much more passionate audience. Yeah. I mean, it, it, from a community building perspective, too, it, it's not even really that you're super unique. It's that you're saying things that haven't really been said before, haven't been called out in that way before. And it's it's likely that there's a lot of other people out there who are thinking that way and who do agree with it, but just haven't been given that lighthouse, that landing strip to to come and talk about it because it hasn't been normalized in conversation yet. And so when when you start really putting that stuff out there that's true to you and what you believe, then the other people who share those beliefs feel safe coming out and talking about it too. And and you become that that beacon for them. Absolutely. It's exactly what happened with uh with how I started my Twitter is I was saying things that had been repeated mm -hmm. in social media marketing for so long that I just didn't think were true. And so I was just saying, mm -hmm. like, I don't think these are actually the ways to do it. I think this is the way to do it. And it resonated, you know, like no one was really, really talking that way. And it was all stuff that I knew that I had experienced. So it, you know, was that perfect overlap of, um, you know, an experience unique to me that also resonated, or I shouldn't say unique, but perspective I had that no one was talking about that other people agreed with or that had seen themselves. Hmm. It, it seems like a good formula for creating engaging content is identifying things that are uh, popular opinions that you disagree with. So you could, you could call it the unpopular opinion take approach, but that's essentially what it is, right? Identify the things that everyone believes and share a, a counterpoint that you think is more accurate. 100% subversing conventional wisdom is an unbelievably effective marketing and community building tool. Mm. Okay, so specificity, so really honing in on the topic. And then we have consistency, which is something we hear a lot about in community. It's just like you need to keep showing up every day. Um, and that's how you get other people to continue to engage. Um, so you were doing it twice a day. What what actual tools that you use for that? Do you like schedule it out on Buffer or something like that? Or do you just do you always do it live? Yeah, I just do it live. I don't like the, um, I don't really like any of the tools. The The reason I don't I don't care for any of the tools, and if they work for you, great. I don't like them on Twitter. I don't like scheduling things, period, especially like the past year. Like there was so many things that happened. And at any moment, something that is very, you know, harmless at the time, you know, harmless a week ago be, can become insensitive or just not reading the temperature of the room. So I just, you know, I, I just was never comfortable with, scheduling stuff. And then also, 
I knew exactly when it was scheduled. I knew at Sunday night at 8.30, I had this tweet going out. And so then at 8.30, 8.31, I would go look to make sure everything went well. And I'm like, what am I doing? If, if, <laughs> I'm here anyway. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it, it's like, this isn't any less work for me. And it's making me probably more anxious than it would have been otherwise because I wanted to make sure it went well. I wanted to make sure that like, you know, nothing got reformatted or, or I, for, I typoed something, you know, like it was just like, it just worked for me that I was able to put that out there and, and it was, you know, less concerned. And then also too, I would, you know, find time like, all right, perfect. I've got 30 minutes now on a, you know, Sunday from eight to eight thirty. I can put, if I post it at eight, I can like kind of monitor it, make sure nothing bad happens. And, and that works for me. Um, the, the other reason I never really cared for him was the, the analytics never really interest me that much. Like, it's very obvious. Like when you put, I don't get this, I'm, I'm trying not to offend anyone that really likes data and I've got nothing against data, but like, I'm not Google. It's not changing the color of my button is not, you know, like to make a 1% increase. That works if if I've got an audience of millions or billions, but when, you know, if you're going from 100 to 101, who cares? Like, it's just not that interesting to me. What I want is I want to go from 100 to 1,000 to 10,000 to 100,000. And to do that, like, I don't need any special analytic tools to do that. I can tell when a tweet gets 100 retweets versus when it gets one. So the tools just have never, never been of interest to me. I, I just prefer going into the platforms and doing it that way. Old school. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the way back to like 2014 old school. Yeah. like it. I mean, it, it does seem, I've, I've found that there is a very subtle effect of when I write something in the moment and post it, it just like can tap into the, the zeitgeist in a, in a more, you know, present focused way. And when you like schedule it out, even a day in advance, sometimes it like loses a little bit of a step because th like things just move so quickly on social media. There really are these kind of subtle things that are very hard to perceive, but actually do have an impact on what resonates. I've also found I just write better when I'm in the actual platform. I, I like, mm. I, like, I don't think my mind works as well if I'm in like a third party platform writing something. Like if you write tweets so, in an Excel file, like I think you're killing some of the like <laughs> the mojo that you have inside of you. Like go get a burner account and just post those. Like I used to do that all the time. I, I had a fake account. I've done it less now as I think I have a better sense for it. But I would anytime I wrote something, I would write it in this burner account, post it. I was the only follower and I could see what it actually looked like in the wild. And like that made me like appreciate it and consume it differently. Mm. And I think it's just a great exercise and, you know, I've gotten better at it now, but like, I think you got to see it to, you know, in the wild to really understand how it's going to hit. Everyone's like, weird. Why is Matthew just copying all of his tweets yeah. from this <laughs> random account with uh -huh. one follower? Yeah. I've, I've locked it so no one can see. I've made it so, so okay. yeah. Cause it, so it's just a visual. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a real thing. It's like feeling it and seeing it in a, in a timeline. It just hits different than when you're creating it in a in, in an isolated bubble. Yeah, 100%. So what is your actual process? Do you have like a doc with ideas and then you pull from there? Do you just come up with ideas on the spot? What does the actual process look like for creating content? Yeah, so it's both. Um, for what I do professionally is definitely different than what I do for my own. For myself, I often get inspiration from reading something, from conversations like this. Uh, then I'll just jot down notes. I just have a note thing in my um, uh, in my phone. If I'm ever kind of like, all right, I haven't tweeted in a day or whatever, I might go scroll through these and see what you know what I wrote down that's still of interest to me. Because most of it's garbage. The most the reason a lot of them are drafts is because they're not that good. But right. I put something in a draft that I kind of want to think about later, and you kind of give it a day to to better you know kind of take a step back. I often reword it and try to get that perfect. So that's one. The other one is sometimes I'll just kind of be thinking and an idea will come and it's just, you know, I, I go right for it. So there isn't really a set way that I do it. I'd certainly do both. And that's what helped me hit that consistency off the bat. Because I noticed there were times where I would write like 10 tweets and, uh, you know, like, and they'd just come one after the other. And there are other times where like I could sit there and not write anything. Yeah. I know the feeling. Yeah. And you want to ride that wave. 
And so that's what I realized too, is like, I'm like, all right, all right I got one. And you just kind of move on. It's like, wait, no, let me get, let me milk this for all it's worth. Let me ride this wave until it crests and it's over. Mm-hmm. And when I started doing that, that's when it became like, you have these sprints where you work really hard. I didn't even want to say hard. It didn't seem like hard work, but like these sprints where you get a lot out of a short amount of time. And then that helps you know, supplement the times where you're not feeling that same kind of motivation or that same kind of inspiration. Totally. For a company, it's certainly different. I still have the same thing. If a good idea hits me or something inspires me, I've got, I do the same thing with the notes. I've got one for my personal, one for the um, brand that I work for. But then also it's much more objective focused. So it's like, we've got to figure out how to, it's more about building a brand and, and get hitting, getting certain messages out there that are beneficial for our brand. So it's really more about incorporating certain concepts into the larger scope of our brand. And those are, you know, sometimes you just got to sit and think about it and, and uh, talk through it. How do you think about specificity when it comes to doing it for the brand? Because fast is also, you know, a pretty broad category in terms of like the people that it's built for. Um, it's it's like payment processing, right? Payment processor it, processing is our flagship product. Bigger picture, we're an identity company. So mm-hmm. if you think about it, processing payments actually has been solved. That's not really that hard. Um, what's hard is when you go from one website to another, to another, to another, how do you give that website only the information that they need to make it easier for you as the user? So like, how do you make it so you don't need passwords? How do you make it so that if I want to buy something, all my information is already loaded? How do I make it if I need to plan a trip? I've got all my you know address and, and passport information stuff automatically saved, like information that you're going to have to give them anyways. Um, so yes, that, which is a very broad topic. And so, and to be honest, I don't know that it's one that we've fixed yet. It's still, we're, uh, you know, we, we launched our core product six months ago. And so we're still figuring out like as a brand, what it is that we stand for, how we want people to feel about us when they see us. Um, and we're really going into this identity, this individuality element of our brand. And so we're exploring that right now. Um, hopefully some really cool things to come through the rest of the year. Uh, but when we started, the community that we built around was, hey, the internet's broken in this sense. You know, like why, why do I have to put the same information over and over again? Why can't it be as easy to buy as it is on Amazon on every website? Why do I have to log in? Why do I have to prove I'm a human? And so that was kind of the original community that we built around. It was like, we're, you know, builders, creators that are fixing this problem. And so you were able to kind of join us for the ride, whether you were interested in uh, that element of the internet, or if you were interested in just building, you know, technology or really anything period. So that's kind of how we started. And we're kind of that same idea. We're started very niche and we're starting to like kind of pull out and hopefully bring people along for the ride. Love it. So we have specificity, consistency, and then the third one is around this kind of compounding effect. And it reminds me a lot of actually, I think it was the clubhouse room that you did with Greg Eisenberg and then Julian Shapiro joined the other day. And Julian said something that really stuck with me around affinity and how like two people in a community can post the same exact content, but it will resonate much more when one person says it over another person because of the affinity that they've already developed within that community, within that group. And that was, that was like really fascinating to me. And, and it speaks to kind of the long-term value of community. So whenever people say like, we want to kind of derive value from community really quickly, they don't understand that compounding opportunity of if you can truly become that lighthouse, become that brand or that person that people think of immediately whenever they think of that topic, then everything you create around that topic is going to have a much better chance of spreading and doing well um, just because you've already established that affinity. Same exact concept. Absolutely. It's uh, you get that glow of everything you've done before. Um, you know, people are, are more interested to listen to what you have to say because they liked what you said earlier. I'm more, I'm more likely to get a vanilla cola from Coke than I am from com- some company I've never heard of because they have a hundred year head start. And anyone that wants the impact of community building after like the first month or even few months, uh, doesn't understand the power of this. It's like saying, I want to double my money in the stock market in a week. Like you just can't do it. I mean, may- you can maybe do it with some risky moves, but like, 
the the tried and true way is like just time just put in the work do it over and over and that's when you know it, it feels kind of like nothing it's you know I, and no one can see me but i'm doing this like hockey stick thing where it's like over time the benefits you know like if, if you double from one to two that's not that meaningful but then two to four and four to eight and eight to 16 and that's when you see these real effects here and so that's what that's where the magic happens do you think it's possible for someone to build a really strong community and network around a topic that they themselves aren't authentically curious and invested in? No, because it's like clenching a muscle, you know, it's like you can do it for a certain amount of time, but you really need to be fully committed to it. Not fully committed to it. You need to be passionate about it. You need to actually enjoy it. And um, so being good at something makes you passionate about it. <laughs> you know, so if you're if you're able to uh, tap into something, you've got this really active community and, and you're, you know, you're the one kind of heading it, you're going to be passionate about it. So it's probably going to work out. But for you to go through that kind of the, the muck and mire of it when it's not really going that well, that's when it should be something that you're actually interested in. Um, that's going to be the best way. And, you know, you can kind of fake interest a little bit like a, having a job that pays for your family is probably a good enough reason to be interested in something. And the better you get at it, the more likely you are to, um, you know, be even more passionate about it. But it just makes it a lot easier. Like I legitimately like tweeting. So when I committed to two, tw- you know, two posts a day, I never felt like work. It was always fun. And I got like an early retweet from Jack Dorsey, which like, that was enough of, of adrenaline push that like kept me going for a month. Like that was super easy. I like, I, I think I freaked mm, out when I saw it. Yeah. And, and it was, but like, it, yeah, you needed that like kind of thing pushing you to make it easy. Like it just, it never felt like work. Um, and, and there's plenty of things I do now that don't feel like work that I get paid to do that I feel very fortunate about. Yeah. I've been thinking about this concept and how speaking of advice that I think just doesn't resonate with me anymore the advice of do what you love or do what you're, you know, do the thing that only brings you joy actually doesn't resonate with me because I think no matter what you do, there are going to be aspects of it that you won't love and aspects of it that you won't find joy in. But what's really important is that it's something you're genuinely curious about. Because if you, if you feel really drawn to kind of solving this puzzle, then you're going to push through the things that you don't love and find the things that you do love in it. Yeah. I completely agree. And you can't just do things you love all the time. What you should do, I'm sure we're, most of us are familiar with the idea of flow. Um, you know, that state where you yep. kind of like, you know, the world disappears and you're just kind of focusing on this one thing. It's more like if you find yourself doing something like that, where you all of a sudden you look back like, oh, I, I skipped lunch today kind of thing. Figure out how to do more of that. Like you got to reverse engineer. Like what was I doing that made that so interesting? And that's kind of what I've done with my life. Like when I had, um, I started a marketing firm and I noticed when I was doing a lot of elements of it, it was work. I did not really enjoy it. wasn't passionate about it. But when I was creating content, I would lose an hour. I'd lose two hours. I would lose an entire night um, just working on this because I loved it so much. And I realized like, that's what I need to be doing more of. Um, And if that means not having a business, that's fine. Like, let me figure out how to spend my day doing the things that put me in that state of like deep concentration. Mm. Um, and so that's what, if, if you find yourself doing those things, like, you know, figure out how to do more of it. And, and I think too, a lot of people, um, you know, if you've got a nine to five job and there's elements of it that you don't like and elements of it that you do like, talk to your boss about the stuff you do like. I, I think a lot of people are kind of, you know, just assume that the bad parts of their job they have to keep doing are that like, I think a lot of problems can be solved just by having conversations that are slightly difficult at the time. And I don't know one boss who's going to say, you know, they're at least not going to be mad. Your boss may or may not let you do more of what you want to do, depending on what your job is. But they're certainly going to be happy to find out that there's this one aspect of your job that you absolutely love and you that you want to do more of and you want to undertake more responsibility. Um, so that like, that, that would be my advice if you're trying to do more of what you love in your job. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as a manager, I love that when someone's like, this is a thing that I feel really good at and I want to learn more about. And I want to do a lot more. I'm like, great. Like, yeah, that means you'll 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 do it, in, you know, in your sleep. You'll just be thinking about it because you're genuinely curious about it mm-hmm. rather than I'd much rather have you do that than force you to do things that you don't actually you. It's very hard for you to find flow in. Yeah. 
And, and you probably get more bang for your buck by having them work on the things that they're passionate about because absolutely like that's what happened to me. Like I, I when I got focused on content, I was jogging on a Sunday and couldn't help but think about ideas for the New York Stock Exchange. Like I just couldn't turn it off. Exactly. So you got like free hours from me by letting me focus on the things that were of interest. Exactly. I think about community literally every minute of the day. It's a problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, that's why I work in community because anything I do, you know, I'm going to be thinking about it constantly. Switching gears a little bit, I'm curious from your experience in New York Stock Exchange, you a lot of your job was to engage CEOs of companies and get them to list themselves on the on the stock exchange. What did you learn about reaching people who are very busy and influential and, and getting them to, to give them your time? So well, let's tie it back to community. What, what we had to do is, so part of my job was to convince CEOs to list on the New York Stock Exchange as opposed to NASDAQ, which is really the only other competitor. And... What this person had usually done, they were mostly founders. And what they wanted is they wanted communities around their own business. You know, like they wanted the person who works at Airbnb wants people excited about Airbnb. And so you were able to kind of, um, it was almost like, uh, the way I explained it to them was it was almost like sharing communities. It's like, you, we've got this community that's interested in businesses and interested in brands and what that means for the stock. And you've got this person who's interested in your brand. Let us like layer this on top of each other and we can have this, um, magnifying effect where we can get the people who might be fans of you from a stock perspective, but we can get them interested in your brand and your story. And so we'd sell them on that and we would have this, you can kind of cut up the numbers anyway, but we had numbers where we could show that our followers were X amount more engaged in our competition, that your reach was, you know, this much further. And so it's like, we just have a bigger, more engaged community for you to talk to and for you to leverage and hopefully that you bring some of them over to your community. So that was, that was mostly what I did. And then, you know, you buy ads too, and you tell them that we're going (laughs) to, we're going to, even if we don't get enough people, we're going to buy ads to get millions and millions of more people. And we're going to work with you to tell your story and to do it in a way that you're proud of. And that really reflects how you guys see yourself. Love it. Always sell community. That's that's what moves people to uh, to want to invest. If you can help them grow their community and engage their community better, that's a pretty compelling sale. Where do you source ideas for content, or where do you find that most of your best ideas come from? I am a sucker for like philosophy kind of stuff. Same. It doesn't have to be like hard philosophy that was from like two thousand years ago, but like. I like these ideas that endure The like, I, I don't necessarily care about a book that solves a problem, you know, that just happened a week ago. I care about the book that solved a problem that's been a plaguing people for thousands and thousands of years. Cause I'd find that like most of the problems that we have are old problems. Like how do I communicate better with, you know, the, my significant other, how do I have better friendships? How do I stay healthy? How do I stay happy? Like those are the, and the, the stuff that actually interests me. So I read books about that. I watch, you know, uh, I, I literally, even my TikTok is about it. I give TikTok a lot of credit because they are really good at understanding what you like. For real. I really just try to consume content that falls under that umbrella. And, and some of it's not, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's like all this self-help stuff. Like there's plenty of things that kind of make me look at the world slightly differently that help me look at the world more empathetically. And, uh, and that's the stuff that I like. And when I listen to those things, I find that, you know, I feel more creative. I feel like I'm better able to create content. Um, so that's mm-hmm. that's how I spend my free time. I mean, and, and I certainly, you know, yeah. watch trash TV and, you know, eat junk food and stuff. So I'm not saying that I've got this, like, I only do this. But I find that, like, when I do the, the, the things that kind of focus on the long-term stuff, I feel better about it. And, you know, I feel better about myself and I feel better after when I, when it's completed. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. TikTok's become my therapist. My for you page is just <laughs> like all <laughs> like mental health and awareness God. stuff. It's great. TikTok, TikTok is so good. It's very clear to me that the algorithm of TikTok is the future of social media or at least a component of totally. serving you content. Like there is, I could go off on a total tangent right here. How about this? Someone asked me a question about what's going to be TikTok on Clubhouse after, and I'll go, I'll go off on it. But I think there's so much possibility. 
That sounds good. Yeah, it's it's really, really good. And I remember you, you tweeting about it, how it's like really just focused on the things that you want to learn and grow. It's not necessarily focused on who you follow. And I, I love that you tie content back to these kind of like longstanding human challenges, because in reality, all of the challenges that we talk about, even on these, you know, in the last week or in the last month, if you, you know, practice the five whys and you add, you get to the root cause and you say, well, why is that important? Why is that important? You'll probably arrive at one of those things of just like relationships and health and self-care and things like that. It's like, well, how do you grow in your career? Well, why is your career important to you? What What's the most valuable thing to you in your career? How do you solve this problem in social media? It's like, well, you get back into like, what do humans care about and what's most important to them? So everything, if you just kind of dig into it, it's going to root back to these questions that humans have been trying to answer for all of humanity. Absolutely. And it's, I love looking at stuff through that lens. It almost feels like that's actually what I'm interested in. And I just figured out how to make money through this by, by applying it to this one area. Um, and I love this area. I love social media. I love content. I love community building. Um, I wonder if I would have loved anything that I had some early success on and, um, you know, was got the positive reinforcement that people were telling me I was good at it. Like maybe I could have taken all these same lessons and applied it to sales or applied it to, you know, CE coach, CEO coaching. Like there's plenty of ways that this could have manifested, but it sure seems like this big picture is what I'm actually interested in. And, um, you know, this is just a manifestation of it. Love it. All right, last question before our rapid fire question round, everyone's favorite part of the show. What's your take on Twitter communities and super follow? Oh, I love it. I, I think Twitter is going to be a, I think Twitter is trying to get into the creator economy. I think they're going to try to figure out like, how do we have people make a living, not necessarily on Twitter, but like with their thoughts. And I think the Square title acquisition helps complement that. So you've got Square and Twitter, the same CEO, Jack Dorsey. Mm -hmm. uh, Square just bought Tidal, which is a music streaming platform. And I just assume they're doing this to make it an easier way to pay artists um, directly. Mm -hmm. So it's direct-to-consumer music. I think it's going to be direct-to-consumer newsletters, direct-to-consumer audio rooms, direct-to-consumer tweets. Like If you're creating value, I think Twitter wants to share some of that value back with you. And I think it took them too long to get there. But if they go that direction, that is super interesting. And you could obviously like Cash App is owned by Square. So there's just like all these synergies here where I think they're trying to get, they're trying to essentially cut out the middleman. If you are mm -hmm. someone who creates something of value, Twitter can get it to you for cheaper and get let the creator have a bigger percentage of, uh, of that money. Mm. I feel really torn on it because I feel really excited for the opportunities for creators. I feel really excited for the opportunity for community builders. I think it'll be another really interesting community platform to use uh, with Twitter communities specifically. Um, and one of the biggest challenges that community builders and creators have is monetization. And so if it can help them do that, those are things I'm really excited about. The things I'm worried about are how it affects the social fabric of Twitter. And it's kind of like the last remaining single watering hole where everyone's sharing the same single feed, the same single space. And I'm worried about it bifurcating the conversation in the same way that, you know, if you're on Reddit or Facebook or LinkedIn or all these other platforms, the conversation is kind of living within these subgroups or sub channels or people's followings or whatever twitter felt like you know it's completely open for everyone i'm curious how this is going to change that yeah I, I guess only time will tell yeah it's funny though at the end of the day it's a public company that needs to grow and make more money that's just how these things work so it is so you gotta, it doesn't matter what i want <laughs> yeah i know it's you know mcdonald's has to sell more cheeseburgers like it's just the, the nature of, of the system we're in um so they, they've got to figure out a way. The thing that I, I that tr not troubles me about Twitter is that like they, they create such immense value. It's just so insane. And I don't think it's been like one tenth. Like they just haven't shared any of that value. Like the amount of stuff that they do. I just feel like everyone knows Twitter. Everyone sees tweets, even if you don't use Twitter. Like, how do you figure out how to make yeah. money 
from the from the news outlets that are sharing tweets and like they don't really have a good yeah. way from that and like that's what i think is super interesting and i want them to figure it out because like the value of twitter to the world is you know arguably in the trillions but the value of the companies mm-hmm. you know i don't know 30 billion 50 billion i forget what it is um i just th- there's so much more value for them to to capture and you know i'm rooting for them that they do without like you said damaging the core product because i think that's the one thing that they've got to be careful about. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I mean, I forget who it was. It was a VC a while back. Might've been Mark Andreessen or someone that said, um, you know, articulated the difference between value creation and value capture. And so there's a lot of people or companies that can do a lot of value creation, which may, you know, create a new market or create a new space or create new opportunities and give people a lot of value. And then it's about figuring out how to value capture. It's like the pickaxes for the gold rush kind of thing. Like, And that's who ends up making all the money on the value that was created. And I think this is something that community builders face a lot is they create a ton of value, but they struggle to capture that value. They like bring people together. They create conversations. They grow entire industries or new ways of thinking. They start movements but they struggle to figure out how to capture the value of that. And then it's people who end up building tools and products and services within that space that end up capturing all the value. And Twitter in some ways has done that, right? They've built this like massive network and community. And to your point, it's, you know, they're due to figure out how to capture a lot of the value that they've created. I sure hope so. Yeah. All right. Rapid fire question round. What is your favorite book to give as a gift to others? It was for a long time. I don't know that it still would be, but the book I've definitely given the most is How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's one of those books. I think it's a hundred years old now. Um, it has an unfortunate title. The title hasn't aged well, aged well, because it sounds like a like a little more uh, you know mischievous than it really is. Um, but it, there's just such basic tenets about using people's names, about making people feel good when you talk to them. That like are just they're just basic communication principles that when I read. Uh, it was stuff that was like, this is so obvious and I'm not sure that I do it. Um, and I just think uh, anyone who wants to become a better communicator, it's a must read. It's super easy to read. The chapters are really short. You can literally read a chapter in five minutes and you know move on with your day and read the next one the next day. Love it. One of my favorite books. And that's a good reminder. I'm due for a reread of that. I haven't read it in a long time. but I reread it like six months ago. And it's funny. I think if you reread it, you'll realize that you're like, I do all this stuff. It's become so much a part of of how you interact with the world. It's now a lot less profound. But if it's the first time you read it, it, it still, you know, it, it hit me. And I, I think I was 20 when I read it the first time. And so it hit me really, really hard when I was that age. Yeah, it'd be funny to read it now and be like, whoa, like all of these lessons actually sat with me and, and now I just do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. All right. What's your most memorable community story? Um, it was, let's see here. I, okay, I got a good one. I had to, um, when I was at the stock exchange, and like I said, part of my job was getting companies to list, Snapchat had just started and we wanted to get Snapchat to list on the New York Stock Exchange. So the president of the stock exchange at the time, I just moved to New York and he, you know, he said, oh, hi, Matt. And, you know, we're talking. He's like, look, I don't know what your job is really or like what your you know goals are, but I'm telling you, your goal right now is to give us the best goddamn Snapchat channel that you can. Because when I see Evan Spiegel, I want to take out my phone and show him that I understand Snapchat. So I made it very clear. I knew my goal. <laughs> Snapchat made it really good and made it well enough that I multiple times was recognized in New York City as the New York Stock Exchange Snapchat guy. Mm. They didn't know my name, <laughs> but they knew, they they had seen me enough on Snapchat. So it's like I knew something was working. I knew that people were actually invested in what we were doing every day. Um, so to get recognized, and and they all, by the way, they all said the same name. I never called myself that. They just, for whatever, like that is just what made sense to them, the New York Stock Exchange Snapchat guy. And, uh, and so that was, that felt real special. That felt like, wow, I've, I've done something that like, you know, if someone on the subway recognizes me, that was, did something right there. As your claim to fame. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's long gone now. No one, <laughs> it was a short window, but it was still, it was still fun at the couldn't, time. Couldn't keep that wave going. No, <laughs> it helps to, it hurts not being the NYC Snapchat guy anymore too. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> makes it hard. <laughs> makes it hard to still be him when you're not him. All right. Next question. Um, And maybe this is a bad one since you said you don't really like using a lot of apps and tools, but what is a community tool or app that you do love to use? Uh, None of them. I don't like them. Just the platforms themselves. 
No, I, I get, well, I give a fake answer. I just, I just don't care for any of them. Like that, that to me, it's, if you focus on the tools, you're focusing on, uh, the, I, it's like going to the 400 level class when I don't think 95% of the people have mastered the 100 level class. Mm. So I just don't even concern myself with it. All right. No tools. Love it. Next question. If you could all o- only follow three people on Twitter, who would they be? I would follow, uh, there's a marketer I know that I really respect. Her name is uh, Danye Taylor. Mm. Uh, I love the I love her sp- perspective on marketing. She doesn't come from really a marketing background. She just kind of came from a like, I think I can do this. Or like, I don't know why. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. It's I don't know why I can't do this. And it's just such a refreshing, unique perspective. Um, someone else is David Perel. Mm-hmm. I like the way that he writes. I like his long form stuff. It's especially a good mix with like all the kind of short things that you see so often on Twitter. So to see something a little longer is a little more refreshing. And, um, I will say orange book is a synonymous account, you know, don't, don't know who that person is, uh, but it's very much this kind of like observations about life. And so it's the kind of content that really speaks to me. Mm, love it. All three. I don't know about the orange book, so I'll have to check that one out, but Danny Taylor and yeah, just orange book, orange book underscore. It's so love good. It. I'll check that out. And Matt and David Perel have a great video online of, of you both talking about how to, you like methodically break down how to build a following and create great content on Twitter that I found wildly helpful. So I recommend Googling that as well. All right. Next question. What's your ultimate tip for someone who wants to improve their reputation online? Um, get better at communicating. So a lot of times, I think I think most issues in life, this even goes to your significant other when you're fighting with them. Uh, I think most fights are about miscommunication. You're just quite not understanding what the other person is saying, not understanding that sometimes someone doesn't want to fight. They just want to be heard or sometimes that um, you know, they're not looking for an explanation. They're just looking for you to say that like, yeah, you know what? I hurt your feelings and I was wrong. And so I think anyone who wants to, you know, change the reputation or build the reputation, whatever it might be, figure out how to communicate exactly what it is that you mean. And sometimes it takes a little self-reflection because you don't, you know, we don't always quite understand what's going on internally. And so figure out what's going on inside, figure out how to express it to the world most effectively. Love it. All right. A couple more. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? When I was younger, I used to follow around fish. Uh, like the band and would go from city to city. And so I got into... Trade. I just had a visual of you like swimming and yeah, like yeah, following yeah, fish around. Yeah, yeah. Didn't think no, the... Not the animal, the the, the band, the band. Got um, But it's yeah. Like, that is a weird community. <laughs> that was definitely weird. It's a dolphin for a little we bit. We follow fish migrations. Uh, <laughs> I go on land, I'm so much faster. Uh, but no, the band and I, and I got into uh, trading the CDs. So it was, you would like mm. burn shows for someone, you would send them shows and they would send them back. And we would just talk about, you know, oh my God, can you believe what song they played and all that stuff. Um, was very into it and very nerdy at the time. Still nerdy, but. I love it. Great example. All right, last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world for how to live, what would that advice be? And I ask this to everyone, but I'm realizing I'm, I'm like asking like, you know, the Twitter guy for his one tweet to rule them all here. So the one tweet to rule them all. <laughs> I go back to the earlier point I made that so much in life is about not communicating exactly what we feel um, and not and either doing it because we can't articulate it or that we're scared to articulate it. So it really would just be say what you mean to say, say what you want to say. Because so much of, of, of life gets so much easier when you do that. When you tell the people that you love that you love them, when you tell the people uh, the hard truths that you know sting for a second, it ends up making everything so much easier. Um, and then when you say the things that you actually mean to say and you don't say them incorrectly and you know that they're interpreted correctly, um, you know that's when you actually have those really meaningful relationships with other people. I love that. Yeah. So many things that just go unsaid and just either create more problems or just don't give you an opportunity to grow and evolve because it's not being said. So uh, that definitely resonates with me. Appreciate that advice. The fear that we have when we talk to other people is mostly imagined. You know, the fear of a conversation usually mm-hmm. like usually goes fine. You know, like asking yeah. for a raise usually probably doesn't go that bad. Telling your boss you want to work on things that you want probably usually doesn't go that bad. There's so much stuff that goes on in our head that isn't actually real. It isn't actually in the real world. 
And so the more you can eliminate this stuff that doesn't really exist, the better you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still get a like a good flash of fear before every one of these podcast interviews. I'm like, <laughs> oh no, this podcast interview is going to go so poorly. It's going to be so awkward. And that happens 0% of the time. Yeah. But there's still something every time before you talk to someone, especially someone you, especially someone you respect or look up to, that it's like, oh shit, like <laughs> this is going to go really poorly when in reality... It never really does. Yeah. And if it does, you learn you learn so much more from conversations that don't go well about yourself and, and you grow a lot more than the ones that do go well. So yeah. there's always an opportunity for growth. So much of life is just win-win. You know, that's really is. Absolutely. All right, Matt. Well, I appreciate you and everything that you've been doing in the world of social media and all the wisdom you share on Twitter. I've learned a ton from you and both in terms of the actual content of your tweets and, and how to be a lighthouse for others. So I think you're setting a, a great example and there's going to be a whole generation of creators and, and people who follow your your example and, and end up becoming lighthouses for their community too. So appreciate what you're doing, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, 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 I love talking about this. So um, this is as much selfish as it is selfless. Awesome. All right, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.